Welcome back to School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello, joined this week again by Matthew Chandler. Lots to talk about this week. Everton playing in their first friendly, some transfer news. But before we get to any of that earlier this week, Matthew uh, interviewed former Everton player Lee Carsley. So we'll get to that right now. I'm delighted to uh, say I'm joined by Everton hero, midfield maestro, derby winner, Lee Carsley. Well, thanks very much. Field Moistra. I've not heard that one before. Thanks very much for taking the time. Sure. How are you doing today? Really good, thanks, mate. Really good. Midfield Moistra, what a start that is. Would you not would you not agree with that? I don't know. I, it, depends, I, 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 it depends what, what reg moistro you're looking at. If it, if it's an old one, maybe. <laughs> yeah, well, hundred and ninety-nine appearances I think he made for Everton. Between uh, 2002-2008, Lee's very kindly uh, joined us today. Just look back at those those six years. uh, He spent a good time. And uh, I guess the first thing I wanted to ask you: obviously, you came through at Derby and then uh, went on to Blackburn and Coventry. uh, Joined Everton in February 2002. So I guess first thing I wanted to ask you is just like how the move came about. Well, it could it could have happened um, a few years before while while I was still at Derby. Um, I was away I was away on holiday at the end of the season. Um, my wife was pregnant with our our first our first son Callum, and uh, I got a phone call off my agent to say that Everton were interested. Harry Kendall was manager at the time, um, but I had no intention of leaving Derby. We were just about to move into Pride Park. We'd we'd been promoted. Um, yeah, and I was really enjoying my football. So um, it wasn't until a few years later that it actually had come about. And um, you know, ideally, you know, if I if I if I'd have known then or I know now, I'd have joined straight away the first chance that I got. Um, but ultimately, I got there in the end, and that was the that was the main thing. Obviously, Coventry getting relegated um, really affected my, I suppose, the valuation that that, that they could have commanded for. For myself, so I think it was a, a good deal for for Everton, especially obviously taking maybe taking a little bit of advantage of of Coventry's financial position. You um, you joined Everton at a kind of sort of crossroads like season for Everton. It was obviously Walter yeah. Smith was sacked um, about five six weeks after you joined. Yeah. Um, did you did you kind of did you worry then? This just kind of wasn't what you. Sort of signed up for with Walt Smith being yeah. signed, or, or with because obviously Moyes came in pretty quickly after Smith yeah. left. I mean, I, I, you, I, yeah. I, yeah, I was relegated at uh, Derby, uh, sorry, at um, Blackburn, and then left Blackburn and went to Coventry, was relegated, and obviously going into the Everton dressing room and seeing that uh, it was really long confidence. Um, we were struggling for form. Um, obviously, the, the manager um, had brought in myself and David Ginola. On the same day, so um, and then him pretty much, you know, um, being relieved of his position. Maybe yeah, four or five weeks later, you know, I really did feel like I'd I'd, I'd maybe made a mistake uh, during Everton that uh, that potentially we could go down. Um, but ultimately, we you know, obviously David Moyes got us got us the three or four wins that we needed, and and we went from strength to strength. Did you did you take to David Moyes straight away? Do you know? Did could you did you know as soon as he came in that he would be the right fit for you as a player? 
No, I didn't really. I didn't really know much about it. If I'm, if I'm being honest, um, you know, I'd, I'd spent the majority of my career in the Premier League. I knew that he was manager of, of Preston, but didn't really know that much about Preston. Um, so yeah, uh, obviously, when I was at Blackburn, Preston had like this like rivals, uh, Preston and, and and Burnley. So they were like the rivals, but no, I didn't really know that much about him. So. And I'm sure um, you know he'd probably said the same about us. He was he was he'd missed out on promotion a couple of times with Preston, and you know it was it was definitely a match made in heaven with the style that he wanted to play and the players that he had available. It was it was a perfect uh, combination. Yeah, because obviously that first the first full season under Moyes was a really decent season for Everton. Finished first. Yeah. Um, and then the year after that was obviously a lot harder. We only finished one place above uh, the drop zone. Um, yeah. And then obviously the year after that is kind of the sort of iconic Moyes season, I guess, finishing fourth. Um, yeah. I was just wondering when when you came back for for pre season before the the o four o five season, because yeah. of, like we only signed I think Marcus Benz and Cahill that summer, and yeah, Rooney yeah. Rosinski left, so it's yeah. pretty much the same squad more or less that finished fourth, that finished seventeenth. Yeah. I was just wondering, did he did he do anything like? Drastically different in that preseason to the year before, or no, no, not not particularly. I think the you know he was very lucky in in taking over a dressing room with the likes of Duncan, Kevin, Campbell, Stubbsy, uh, David Weir. Um, obviously, bringing bringing Nigel Martin in, bringing um, Tim in, bringing uh, Mark Spent. Obviously, the the Wayne the Wayne um, saga was going on over the summer. Uh, of whether he was going to leave or whether he was going to stay. I remember us having a, um, a training session in Houston um, where the, the manager got us all together and says, um, Wayne's, Wayne's been sold um, to Manchester United and this is a squad. This is a squad that I'm going to go with. Uh, and I think there was about 18 of us, which was quite small for a Premier League squad. Um, but I think, I think it was something that he was used to doing at Preston, probably something that he felt a little bit more comfortable doing where he could almost like, Pick a team, work on the team, and then you know make make little changes rather than you know drastic changes, and um, that really galvanised the group. Um, there was a real um, uh, togetherness that 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 created that that preseason, especially. And would you say the that was it? Four or five seasons, like my my first sort of season following Everton. Um, okay. Obviously, the derby was kind of. It's kind of been down all downhill for me from Derby's after yeah. the first one. Uh, would you say that, that was that goal the highlight, you think? Obviously, you, you scored that free kick against Newcastle, I think, like the week before. Yeah. So, um, yeah. do those two goals kind of stick out as real highlights? Yeah, I, yeah, I think really, yeah, I, was, I, was, I, was, I, I tend to speak about this a lot when I, when I obviously come back up to Everton about the Derby goal. And I... You know, it was a great day, and it was a you know it was brilliant to beat beat Liverpool. It, but it was more it was more performances that are more memorable for me than than goals. You know, the you know when you talk about like say for instance um, beating Liverpool three 0 it was a great night. Um, the performance against uh, great day, sorry, it was a great performance against Fiorentina, uh, beating Newcastle to qualify for the Champions League. Um, you know, the games that we had against uh, Man City. Um, you know, we've, we've had some really good performances and especially, um, it's always nice to get goals, obviously, and especially the winning goals. But for me, it was, I always had more satisfaction in team performances and, 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 and you know, that, that, that season that you mentioned there, 
we, we totally went against the grain all the time. You know, we, we, we won when we shouldn't have won. We drew when we shouldn't have drew. Um, we kept winning 1-0. Um, when we did lose a game, we'd bounce back pretty much straight away. Um, we'd done really well with our injuries. The team spirit that, that the manager facilitated that season especially was, was brilliant. And like I say, I think, you know, if, you, if you'd have looked at them te- the, the team that we had, and, and I think if David Moyes had a choice, he might not have gone out and recruited Kevin Campbell and Duncan Ferguson and myself and Davey and Stubbsy and maybe some of the others that you could mention. But they were already at the club and, and, and they were a massive part of what we've done. Obviously, you know, not, not forgetting about Tommy Gravison as well, who was really important that season. Yeah, I was going to ask you, obviously, I can't, can't not talk about Thomas Gravison really just because of the yeah. partnership you had. Why, why do you think you sort of worked so well as a partnership? What do you think the, the key to that was? I think, I think first and foremost, we got on really well. Um, yeah. yeah, we got on really well. We lived in the same um, apartments uh, in Liverpool. We, um, we spent a lot of time together. Um, I, I think I accepted that he was, he was, he was not normal. Um, you know, he was a, he was a wacky guy. He was hyperactive. He was all over the place. But you know, he was genuine, kind. Um, put the team first. You know, he was a great, great, great teammate. Uh, he was a really popular guy as well. So when he left, it was a big it was a big dent in what we were doing. But obviously, um, obviously, then the manager rep- replacing Tommy with with Mikel and uh, Manny Fernandez. Um, but no, that that season, me, me and Tommy definitely clicked. But you know, a lot of people talk about his move to Real Madrid and that it was a shock and that it came out of the blue. But, you know, he was outstanding for us. And, you know, obviously taking into account the, you know, that he was playing really well as well for Denmark on the international scene was obviously, it was going to be on a lot of clubs' radars. It wasn't just Real Madrid. So there was a, a lot of clubs interested in him before he left. I saw you, say, I think you said another interview that I think, Real Madrid, maybe you felt played him in the wrong position as a, in a more like defensive role. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't a definite. I mean, you you you'll have seen him play yourself. You know, one thing you wouldn't associate Thomas with is is defending uh, or being, um, you know, having the discipline to play in one position. And you know, he was an outstanding player. And half of Tommy's um, one of his biggest assets was his energy. He could run all day. Um, I mean, his 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 stature in terms of his. His physic- how he looks physically you probably think he was more based on power but like he, he could run all day he had a, a brilliant engine um, and uh, yeah like you know to, to buy Thomas and, and ask him to sit in front of a back four wasn't was never going to work because he's, he's got too much quality for that yeah, do you think that do you think the pair of you got enough credit in some ways in terms of like I think a lot of people have this image of it being a very sort of tough tackling imposing midfield yeah. Well, actually, like, yeah, I think, I both think, of you are really, think, really good footballers and, you know, you both scored great goals. Yeah. I mean, Tom, Thomas, in, t- in terms of footballers, Thomas was a lot better, like, a hundred times better than what I was. Um, but for all the things that Thomas couldn't do, I could, and it was vice versa. So that's why we, um, you know, I totally understand what my role was for Everton. Like, I knew exactly why I was in the team. I was in the team to disrupt the opposition, break play up and give it to players that were better than myself. And I think I was, I was happy doing that. And uh, when you talk about, you know, do we get the praise or the credit that we deserved? We definitely did off the fans. I, I felt yeah. like we did. Whenever we go back, we're always, we're always respected and appreciated. May not from out, maybe, maybe not from out the outside, but 
you know, it, it was good enough that our own fans appreciated us, and that was that was enough for us. Are you, uh, are you still in touch with Gravison at all? Yeah, we still can't, we're still in contact every now and then, yeah, by, by text and the odd call, yeah. So, yeah, birthdays and special occasions, I'll, I'll speak to him. So, but he's a, he's, a, he's a great lad, Tommy. He's, and if, if, you know, I haven't seen him for a while now, but if I, if I see him, if I see him now, it'd be, it'll be like literally going back about 15 years, we'd be, we'd be back to where, where we were. Uh, one of the other players I wanted to ask you about, just because he's a personal favourite of mine, is, is Nigel Martin. Um, yeah, because I was I was too young to see Southall, but I would say he's yeah probably the best goalkeeper I've ever seen play for Everton. Yeah, um, yeah, he was he was he was outstanding, uh, Nigel. I think um, you know potentially people questioned the timing that he came. You know, was he past his best? But I think if if anything, you know, he was he was um, he was a top top goalkeeper, and you could see that straight away in training. You know, the um, positionally. Um, the positions that he took off. I mean, I'm sure Evertonians will always remember the the Derby game at Anfield, um, where it was just like it was almost like ten against eleven against uh, Nigel. He was, um, you know, he was unreal that game. Um, you know, and 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 off the pitch as well. He was very calm, Nigel. You know, we'd be winning all these games, but he was very relaxed and never got too excited, never got too down. Even in even in games, you never seen him panicked. Never. You know, you'd never see him ranting and raving. You know, he got his point across, but you never got the feeling that he was under pressure or that he was, um, you know, or that he was struggling. And, and which is brilliant for a goalkeeper. You know, you know, you only have to look nowadays and you see some some goalkeepers that are ranting and raving at their defenders, and it's probably because they're nervous or they're panicking a bit, and that sends out that message to the team. Whereas Nigel was the opposite. Yeah, I guess it must have, it must have given you and the rest of the team. So much confidence. I mean, you look at the amount of games, like you said, that we won one 0 that season. Knowing yeah. you had someone so reliable between the six must made yeah must made you feel calm yeah. as well on the pitch. Definitely, and I think you know, like like I'm sure, I'm sure the fans when when you seen that we'd signed Nigel Martin, and then the first thing you do you do is you look at you know his age, and you think, oh, is he? You know, if 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 if, if he can't get in the Leeds team, how's he going to get on with us? But in all fairness, he was he was outstanding, and I'm sure he would have been quite close again to getting an, an England call up with the form that he was he, he was um, he was he was demonstrating. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, he was obviously a massive part of why we finished fourth. Um, we obviously we obviously finished fourth with with two games of the season left after being Newcastle and Liverpool losing uh, the next yeah. game. Um, I was just wondering though, you you got you got injured on the last in the last game, didn't you against? Against Bolton, yeah. Bolton, yeah. Did that did that kind of sour celebration at all for you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it was the, you know, I basically went from the pitch to back to my um, place in Liverpool um, with the physio, uh, with Mick Rathbone. Um, we ordered a pizza, and he didn't eat pizza, Mick. And that, but by the time the pizza had got there, he'd basically ate the lot. So I, uh, I I had a cup of tea and then I had a scan the next day and I was told that yeah that I had a I had a tear in my medial ligament that was going to keep me out for six weeks. So I thought that's not too bad because you know it was the end of the season anyway. But you know I remember being on holiday after about three or four weeks and um, you know walking around and think, just thinking just didn't feel right. I was I was kicking a ball with Callum, uh, my eldest lad, and I was thinking just didn't feel right. My knee didn't feel like it was. It was it was strong. It was just felt like dead lax. 
and obviously then started my my rehab when I got back to training and um, yeah, it just wasn't right. And we had that friendly in Turkey. Was it Fenerbahce? Yeah, I was going to say you got. Was that the injury you got in pre-season? Did you? Was that a different injury? Yeah, it was the same. Yeah, and that was the same. It was exactly the same. It yeah. was exactly the same. I was, um, I was, I was probably seventy percent. I was still. I was. I had to adjust the way that I kicked the ball because every time I struck the ball properly, I had a real sharp pain in my in my knee. Um, I couldn't really turn properly, but I wanted to play. You know, we just, you know, we're, we're basically preparing for that Villarreal game, and you know, I'd, you know, I'd already started talking to the manager about what, what the plan was going to be in terms of the game plan and I was going to mark Raquel May. Um, so I'd got all footage of him. Um, I'd started to see what his, what his habits were when he received the ball, the areas of the pitch that he went into, uh, the way that we were going to defend against him. So in my mind, it was play this friendly and then I think we had our first league game and then we were straight into Villarreal. So, uh, but, you know, yeah, just to, just, yeah, I mean, it wasn't even a tackle or, or anything in the, in the game. It was literally... I think I side-footed the ball and then tried to turn quickly after and literally just felt a, a sharp pain in my knee. And it was that point then that the physio said, let's just get it, let's just get it operated. And, you know, and then it was literally, what was it, four or five months? So it was a long, it, it ended up being a lot longer than what it, what it probably could have been. How, how frustrating was that for you watching the Villarreal games then? Knowing that? No, it was, yeah, I mean, well, I, was, I was supposed to go to the Villarreal away and I said to the manager, I'm not coming. Like I, don't, I don't want to go to the game. So I, start, I watched it in the house and obviously, yeah, it was, it was really frustrating uh, because, like, you know, it was, you know, I, I, love, I love playing in that team and that was my team. And, um, you know, to see, you know, that I, I knew what it, that struggle that we'd had all season just to get in this position to play, you know, that, that qualifying Champions League game and then to play the, the Europa game at, at home. And you could just see the lads had just, it was such an anti-climax to, to what we were, what we were expecting to what we got. Yeah, I was, that season was probably, I, I imagine, one of the one of the hardest for you ever. And I guess I think you only made yeah. six appearances that season. Yeah, well, I got in, I got fit back uh, really, really towards the end of the season. I got a straight yeah. red card against um, Chelsea, um, so I got a three match ban. So literally, yeah, I didn't, I didn't play a lot of games at all. And and plus, you know, we'd sign the likes of. Uh, Phil Jagielka, Don Neville. Neville, I think, had come in. Arteta, uh, maybe, Arteta, maybe Pina, he might have come in that summer. But we'd had, a, we'd signed a lot of players. Pair as well, Coldrop. Coldrop. Yeah, we'd signed a lot of players that uh, that were really struggling to, um, and I think this is what this is this is some of the things that that especially with recruitment that we we probably don't take into consideration um, technically. Is the player good enough to play for Everton? Physically, can they do what's expected in terms of like you have to play at a high tempo to play for Everton because the fans demand that you run around and you're you're able to put the graft in. But the last thing is is like is that mentality? Are you are you able to handle um, not the crowd because that's not the right thing, but the mentality of what it is to be an, an Everton player? And I think that's where maybe some of the players struggle. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. But I think it's it's as much about off the character as well as as technical. Yeah. Did you um, did you ever worry at all that season? Like, if you still had a future at Everton, or or did David was David Moyes nah. really good in reassuring you? Or yeah, it was it was fine. Back? I think I had so I'd always I'd always talk to so I signed after I signed my four year contract. I'd always sign a year after that, like a year at a time. 
So at Christmas, every Christmas, David Moyes would say, I want you to stay next season because what he didn't want to do is he didn't want my contract running out and then other clubs start talking to me. Yeah. So literally at the end of every season, I'd say to him, yeah, I'm staying. We'll sort the contract out in pre-season. But what that would do then, that would trigger an automatic email from um, the Football League and the Premier League that would be sent out to every club to say which players have been released. So it was down to every season I was released. So I'd always get phone, while I was on holiday, I'd always get phone calls off other clubs saying, you know, would you be interested in, yeah. um, in, in signing for us? But I was obviously, I was, I was always going to sign for Everton. It was just, it was just um, a routine. But I always knew that I was, I was rated from the outside. I used to get some, some really you know, good offers, but it was never, nothing, nothing was ever going to um, yeah, turn my head. Yeah, obviously you were um, pretty much a, a, a constant in, in the last two years. You were having, I think you played yeah. every game, 06, 07, and yeah. about 50 times the year after as well. Um, yeah. First thing I wanted to ask you about those two years, obviously that, that 3-0 Derby win you talking about before. Yeah. <laughs> great game. That was a great when you game. had that, that, when you had that shot, game. When you had that shot at Pepe Reina, did you have any idea what was going to happen after that? No, I think I—I I, mean, them them balls. It was not long. Them balls had just come in. I think at the start of the season they were the red ones, and then just after Christmas they were the blue ones. Yeah. And we noticed in training that if you hit them properly, they—they'd they, literally they dip all over the place. They weren't as as smooth through the air as like a mitre or something like that. And these, you know, if you caught the Nike ones just right they'd move a lot and the, the keepers used to always say to us like if you get a chance just hit it like because like the, the ball's going to move it's really difficult so I think it was I mean I really rate Pepe Reina I think he's a, a brilliant goalkeeper and I think he was brilliant for um, for Liverpool but he made he, he did make a bit of a hash of it but I think a lot of that was just because of the, the movement on the ball he, he obviously didn't want to carry it over the line and then AJ AJ being in the right place at the right time like he was for a lot of that season was was right, but I, th- I just remember that day being absolutely boiling hot, um, and us, just us, uh, you know, that we we, went, we used to go into these derby games thinking that we were going to beat them. We really did, and sometimes we, uh, you know, our form wouldn't reflect that that we should be thinking that we could we could beat them, but we did. We really fancied our chances every time we played Liverpool. We did. Yeah, that the uh, the one that sticks out to me the year after was that that goal against Birmingham. Uh, I remember. Yeah. Being- I remember being in that game and obviously the last minute winner. Uh, Goodison just yeah. did that day. I guess that was that must have been a special one for you as well. Obviously with you. Yeah, it was a, that that was a good goal. The, the, the funny thing for me is obviously all my all my family are Birmingham City fans. So uh, that night we were going to a fiftieth um, in Birmingham, and I know obviously so so you can imagine I I I've, I've got to the to the 50th birthday party and there's a lot of sad faces about and then I walk in who's who's obviously just smashed that that goal in against them um, it was it was an underwhelming entrance to, to say the least they were, they were they weren't happy when I turned up but no it was it was a it was a, it was a really good performance I remember Vaughan as well coming on and scoring and um I've done a podcast the other day with with Victor and and James McFadden and you know they were so important to the squad not not only on the pitch but off the pitch, their enthusiasm, the likes of, of Victor and Horney especially. No, no, um, uh, they weren't they weren't they weren't worried about anything. They literally everything that David Moyes threw at them in terms of obstacles or um, opposition, they literally took it in their stride. <coughs> it was the same with Leon Osman as well. Sorry, 
Same with Leon. Really made a massive impact and, and kicked on. What was what was Moyes like to play under then? Because obviously his, his style of play and his or his kind of game management. Some, I guess some people, you know, rightly or wrongly, can see it as kind of maybe negative at times. But then yeah. think of the like those two seasons in particular. Haven't played some really good football and showed a lot of resilience. Obviously, we said like the the one 0 wins. Think of like the seven yeah. one win over Sunderland and things like that. Um, yeah, I think I think the. With with David Moyes' um, teams at Everton, you could see you could see an, um, a progression from when he came in to when he finished. So if you think about uh, the level of the recruitment, the style of play that he was recruiting, if you if you think about like a Leighton Baines, like you're swapping Leighton Baines for um, Alessandro Pistone, you're swapping um, Nicholas Anderson for Stephen Pienaar, uh, Mikel Arteta on the other side for Van der Maeda. Um, you know, obviously Ibo was was it was week in week out, but I think the longer that David Moyes was at Everton, the more open we became uh, in terms of you know if we'd have if we'd have came to you know in our first game when we uh, under David Moyes, if he'd have tried to play open, attractive football, we'd have got beat and potentially got relegated. So for, for him, it was always right. Well, first of all, we'll stop the opposition, and then we'll impose our style on it. And it was only when he was given the opportunity to get in better players. That's when we really, you know, started playing some really good football. Did and you... I think, I think when you when you look at when you look at um, who who took over from David Moyes was it um, what's his uh, name Martinez? It was Martinez. So if you think about uh, Roberto Martinez's first season, played really good football, but they kept a lot of clean sheets as well because I think they were going off what we'd done in the past. That you know we we were really good defensively, but then it, we added that little bit more extra going forward. So, and I think I think I thought you saw you know not a real decent involvement of that, but then maybe potentially became a little bit predictable. Do you look back at all with like a kind of a bit of a sense of, of what might have been? Like, do you think one of you should have won a trophy in one of those teams? Oh God, yeah, massively, yeah. Like, I'm, I'm I definitely I definitely not that I'm saying that I am, but I wouldn't consider myself an Everton legend. I mean, I watched um, Howard's Howard's oh, way yeah. again the other day. Like, God, I would love to have been part of that. Like, it's unreal, and you, and I, I can just imagine being there when you see the fans and you see outside the ground and the, the them European nights. What what Jimmy Martin and Tony Stage used to tell us about. You know, I, I, they're the legends. Them lads. God, we were we were we, we were okay. At best, we were, we, were, we were average at best. For a club of Everton stature, you know, we needed to win something. We need, whether it be, a, you know, giving the fans a, a day out at Wembley and winning a, a League Cup or an FA Cup. I mean, the champ, you know, getting into the Champions League was a brilliant achievement, but, you know, we didn't get into the group stages. We, we had we, we seen a glimpse of it as players of what it could have been like against Fiorentina that night at Goodison. You know, 2-0 down, going into that game and you literally it was 12 against 11 like we you know when you when you talk about the connection between the fans the club and the team you know it was it was it was a perfect trio that night everyone was everyone was massively on the same page and we really felt like you know potentially we could have done something but obviously the penalty shootout yeah that was uh, and then that was your uh, your last season at Everton was yeah, moved on to Birmingham after that. Was that yeah. um, even though Birmingham had just been, been relegated? Was that 
Was that more for personal reasons than anything else? Obviously? Yeah, I think I think as well. You know, I to, I played um, fifty games that season. I didn't realise until I looked at that the other day that you know it's God, it's a lot of games, isn't it? Yeah. And then the season after that, I played forty. No, I played fifty-two for Birmingham. So one hundred and four games in in two seasons. No wonder I, I retired a few years after that. Um, it was a it was a big it was a big struggle. And once I'd realised, I realised about with about. 10 games to go of that season that this was probably as good as it was going to get for me at Everton in terms of the, the football that I was playing, my, the, the condition that my, my body was in. I was only going to go downhill after that season and I didn't want to do that at Everton. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to hang around. Um, you know, I didn't want a massive send-off. I literally just wanted to give the club that the respect that it deserved and said, you know, you know thanks for everything. See you soon. Yeah. And that's what that's what I did. Yeah, no, fair enough. I mean, it's probably the best way to go, isn't it? You don't want to sort of outstay your, your welcome, no. do you? Um, no. Obviously, since you retired, you've been coaching. I think for the most part, are you still? Yeah, are you still coaching with England yeah, still, in the twenty ones then? Still coaching, yeah, yeah. Still doing England, England twenty um, ones, yeah. I know, obviously, with like some of the clubs you've been coaching at, you've you've been caretaker boss at a few of them. Have you got any? You got any aspirations to be a manager? Do you think? Yeah, I think I think at some point I want to I want to have a go at being a head coach. Um, yeah, but I think you know at some point as well it'd be great to come back to Everton in some capacity and uh, and be part of that. But I think you have to you have to earn the right in terms of reputation as a coach to to work at Everton, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm away off that at the minute. Have you um, have you coached any of? Obviously, the youngsters have got at the moment with, with England in the 20. Yeah, coached um, quite a few of them. Um, Tom Davis, John Joe Kenny, uh, Kieran Dowell, DCL, Ryan Ledson, Callum Connolly, to, say, to, to, to name a few. Yeah, I've, I missed out on Mason. I think Mason was, I left and went to Man City when Mason came into the, the system. So I've not, obviously, I see, see Jordan on international camps and um, Michael Keane, see them knocking around. So yeah, always, always take a a real interest in in the Everton lads. Obviously, it's a it's a club that's that's close to my heart. Yeah, you still you still follow them really closely now, then. Yeah, of course I do. Yeah, my team. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, um, yeah that's quite, really glad to hear that. Uh, yeah. Just finally, then, what do you what do you think of Everton at the moment? Obviously, it's kind of kind of had a few think, years. I don't yeah, know. I think. Yeah, I think. Um, First of all, I thought I thought that I come I come up last season when for Duncan's first game in charge, and I haven't seen I haven't seen Goodison like that in years. Like it was absolutely rocking again, um, and and you know it's 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 not rocket science in terms of um, all the players done that day was run around and fight. That's all they did, and and look committed and. And, and you, you saw the reaction you got from the, the fans and then you see the passion of Duncan on the side and that's reflected on the pitch. And, you know, I think, you know, if, if, that's, your, if that's your foundation, if that's the minimum, then you can build on that. Um, and I think that's not always been the case in the, in the past where it's sometimes we've, been, we've had really good players, but, you know, may, maybe not um, ones that understand what it is to, you know, represent Everton. Um, I really like Carlo Ancelotti. I think he's a, Brilliant manager, like a top manager. Um, everyone speaks so highly of him. Um, 
yeah, I think we're I think we're in good hands. I, re- I really do. And and you know, I always say I hope the you know the, I hope the players realise you know how special the club is that they play for and uh, um, and what it means to everyone because it's you know it's potentially their best their best stage of their career is 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 what's going on now and not to let it pass them by. I think that's I think that's really important, isn't it? I mean, people talk about kind of getting the club as kind of being almost maybe too important sometimes, but yeah. I think I think your Everton teams, the ones that you were like a massive part of, kind of really showed that that you you got what it meant to yeah. play. Everton. Um, yeah, and and, and you can't underestimate. You know, yeah, I was I was thinking about this um, just just before I come on. There was so there's so many players. Uh, while I was at Everton, they were a lot better than me, but they just didn't didn't have that same connection that a lot of the players with lesser ability had, in terms of uh, understanding what what was expected. And I think a lot of it helped that you know I, I lived in I lived in the city centre. You know I was surrounded by Evertonians. I couldn't go to the shops without someone saying weren't good enough the weekend or bloody brilliant the weekend, Lee, or you know same again Saturday. You know, and there's no there's no what I loved about living in, in Liverpool especially was there was no grey areas. It was literally, you were crap or you were great. You know, it was never, oh, you've done all right. You know, you weren't bad. It was like, you've got to do better. You know, it's not good enough for Everton. It's like, you know, you've been... And, but, but it takes a certain personality to, um, to understand that, you know. And, if, and if, you don't, if you don't understand the environment that you're in, it can come across as maybe aggressive or maybe as confrontational. Whereas, you know, I loved it. I thought it was, you know, really similar to Blues, to Birmingham City fans. Uh, you know, they, they, they expect, there's a certain level that they expect from the players. And we've got some outstanding players in, in, the, in the squad at the minute at Everton. And um, there's so much potential there. And I really hope that they, that they fulfil their potential. Because like I say, I love watching Everton play. I want them all to do so well. And um, like I say, there's, there's, um, there's got, he's got a hell of a squad there to work with. Great stuff. Anyway, Lee, thanks very much for taking the time. It's no been problem. A massive pleasure to talk to you and reminisce thanks for having me on. better times forever and hopefully some more around the corner. Great Cheers, stuff. Mate. Thanks very much, Lee. Thank you. All right. Thank you uh, to Lee Carsley for joining us on, on School Science Radio. We really appreciate it. Um, you know, thank you, Matthew, for, for, for reaching out to him and and getting that interview, obviously, some interesting stuff there. Uh, but as we transition out of the interview and into kind of some of the Everton news, let's start with their first friendly of the 2020-2021 season um, against Blackpool. Um, quite the interesting match, but let's start from the team. Um, obviously, Pickford, D- uh, Dean, Holgate, Branthwaite, Kenny in the back with Sigurdsson, Davies, Awobi, um, Gordon, in the middle with Keane and, and Calvert-Lewin. Um, you know, a bunch of others featured like Keane, Walcott, and Kunku. Um, Coleman, Balassi, who we haven't seen in a very long time. Um, Besic, Gibson, um, among others. Everton went down 3 nothing inside the first 11 minutes, fought back. Um, Matthew, uh, thoughts? Um, Phil, I feel like... It's kind of hard to read too much into friendlies because they're friendlies. Um, and it's probably worth pointing out that I think Blackpool had already played three pre-season games. And they're in League One, which was uh, which was uh, curtailed. So they hadn't played 
what was it, nine games in five weeks like Everton had in the, at the end of the Premier League. So they are probably uh, more sort of energised than Everton. But uh, I found them, I don't feel I don't feel like they learned a lot new about Everton really. It was the same team pretty much. Obviously, no new signings apart from Nkunku. Um but yeah, I mean, the three goals came from set pieces. Uh, obviously, Calvert-Lewin's header, Sigurdsson's penalty, Sigurdsson's free kick. Um, the three goals we conceded were slack defending, which has been Everton's Achilles heel for years. So, yeah, I mean, what can you what can you what can we gauge from that? I thought Nkunku was decent when he came on um, as a left back. Um, I thought Dominic Calvert-Lewin was was better than he had been at the end of the last season, obviously ended that goal drought. Um, and Sigurdsson, while I thought Sigurdsson was still pretty ineffective from open play, um, it's nice to see him get two goals. That's always a confidence booster, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Always good to see him, um, you know, get on the score sheet. Um, you know, if he is going to be a player with us this this season, you know, you want him to get that confidence and you want him to be able to, to go in the season with – you know, guns blazing and hopefully um, start the season off well. So that's always a good confidence boost. I was happy to see Dominic Calvert-Lewin get a goal because after the restart, he didn't have a goal. So, um, you know, I guess you start to worry a little bit and maybe he starts to worry a little bit about, you know, getting that goal, but he did get one. Um, always good to see the ball go in the back of the net, no matter who it's against. Um, like you said, though, Matthew, you know, didn't learn too much. Blackpool had already, you know, they had an extended break and, and had already played a few friendlies before this. Um, the defending on the goals was not great, but we were looking at a defense that had two players who didn't play in the back four um, really much or at all this past season, Branthwaite and Kenny. Um, so, um, you know, obviously communication there is there, I'm sure, and, and you know, yeah, we saw you know Coleman and 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 Keane back there instead of those two. Defense might have been a little bit better, but still, lacks a days call on the goals and, and unfortunate. But like you said, can't read too much into it. Um, not too much to gain from it. You kind of just take the positives from these things. I think uh, um, I was I was a bit disappointed in John Joe Kenny though. I think there's one goal. I think it's the third. I think it's the second, second one. I second think one. Kai 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 the black the winger. I've seen play before, and it's a kind of tricky, sort of nifty winger. Um, and John Joe Kenny just completely left him, you know, alone uh, with so much space to to work in, in just outside the Blackpool box. And I think probably wasn't helped that one of the centre halves uh, was out of position as well, so Kenny had to cover for them. But it's just a lack of communication, a lack of sort of order about that back four. Yeah, um, I thought Jared Branthwaite got. Got better as the he only played the first half, but I thought he got better as it went on. Um, yeah. And also, I would I would say uh, it, I think it disappointed me slightly. Was like I feel like even from the first preseason friendly, you should kind of set the tone for the season ahead. So, like from a selfish point of view, I, I would kind of I would like to see Mason Holgate maybe be captain. Or even like Luca Dean or something like that, someone who is going to be more central to our plans than than you would think. Guilfi Sigurdsson, who was captain, would be. Um, and this is not a dig at Sigurdsson. I just think you know, obviously, 
you would you would hope that Sigurdsson does not play as often this season as Dean plays left back or Holgate plays centre half. Um, and then you know Yannick Bellassi and, and Bezic and plays like that. Um, I do get it because I think you know uh, if you build their match fitness up, they're probably more viable assets to to sell because uh, clubs are always going to want to take on players who are match fit and not not sort of needing to get up to speed. Um, but again, you know, didn't really offer much encouragement in terms of keeping them at Everton. I thought Balassi was slightly better than Iwobi, though, I will say that, but then Iwobi's not a winger, so... And yeah. it was quite interesting to see Gordon. I, I, I mean, I've put in the in our sort of notes that it was kind of more like a 4-2-3-1, mm. uh, which maybe doesn't suit Moise Keane so much because he was more out wide, but I thought Anthony Gordon did quite well in a more central position than we've seen him. Yeah, no, I mean, Moise Keane, he did play out wide a little bit when he was at Juventus, but obviously strictly a striker since he's come here. Um, and I'm sure that's what he's been working on, um, you know, through training and whatnot. So um, a little bit of a difficult situation for him to be put in that in that spot. He did put, he did put in one, really, I don't know if you saw this on the highlights, he put in this really sort of wicked, pacey cross in the first half that just needed a touch from anyone and it would have probably gone in. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, you know, it's obviously not his natural position. So. Yeah, no, it makes, makes sense, makes sense. But, yeah, I mean, like you said, not really too much to gain from this one. I guess we would have liked to see a little bit more, but can't read into it too much, um, you know, as uh, you know, as the preseason goes on, maybe read into it a little bit more. Um, when's our next preseason friendly? We have Blackburn next Tuesday, so um, that will be uh, – Bit of a step up because they're championship uh, as opposed to League One, but um, yeah, they beat us three 0 when we played them last time in Silver's first preseason. So, and that was with you know Richarlison playing and yeah, yeah. Uh, so that'll be you know it's kind of hard this year because obviously COVID has scuppered so many plans. Um, so you just kind of got to make the best of it, um, but. I think, you know, at least friendlies will provide a bit of a uh, bit, bit more of a competitive edge to this preseason. Yeah. We should talk as well quickly. I, I put in the uh, in the news bit, obviously, fixtures came out as well this week, didn't they? And, and we've got a pretty tough start with Tottenham first day and then Liverpool in October as well. So yeah. um, you really, we really need to see Evan get off to. Um, to, to a great start this year, I think. Yeah, no, I would I would agree. I mean, obviously that will lie in the hands of the transfer business, I guess we do, and we'll get into that in a little bit and hopefully getting in players sooner rather than later as these things seem to be dragging on longer than we would have hoped. Um, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, before we get into that, though, as we get into some of the, you know, cleaning up some of this Everton news uh, that's happened over the past um, week since we've last talked, um, Everton's new third kit was released this morning. Um, that's August 26th, um, uh, day of recording. Uh, it's, you know, a little bit of a mint green, like a soft mint type of uh, uh, look there. Um, it was released um, through, you know, photos with Everton's disability players, um, which I thought was a really cool thing. Um, you know, just quick thoughts on, on the new kit, Matthew. Uh, yeah, it's it's technical term is uh, seafoam green and charcoal, uh, which you know 
define that however you like. But um, yeah, I, th- I think uh, I I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure that they'll have some sort of contractual obligation to wear it a certain amount of times. Uh, but I, I just can't think of many teams who play in sort of orange and blue that would make us need to to, to play in our third strip because obviously our away kit's kind of ambery orange yeah. uh, as well as the royal blue kit so <laughs> I hope we get to see us wear it because it's quite a nice sort of slick design yeah, it's nice I mean it's not drastically different to the other two is it it's pretty simple but, oh, yeah. but slick um, and uh, seafoam colour is, is said to be sort of nod to Liverpool's uh, waterfront which is obviously where I've hoped to be playing football in a few years time once the stadium move eventually materialises um, and yeah obviously uh, the guys who modelled it all uh, represent one of Everton's Everton community's 11 disability teams just really nice touch um, and I thought it was really good of, as well of, of uh, Hummel have, have pledged to invest directly into one of Everton's disability projects uh, which involves leading this uh, 12-month education and training program, which will see 20 of these uh, of the participants join, the, like the stage one of a coach a coaching program. So, uh, hopefully, they'll go on and be uh, kind of, yeah disability coaches in the future, maybe. Yeah. Um, so that was really, I thought it was really classy from from Hummel. Uh, seriously, they put a lot of care, I guess, into the into their work as well. Yeah, no, you know, it seems like they've checked all the boxes in terms of making that connection with Everton and and its community um, in their kits. Um, So far, obviously, like you said, the Seafoam Green, an ode to Everton's, you know, hopeful new home on the waterfront. Um, And then, of course, the the disability stuff, uh, which is obviously fantastic and and really good um, from Homo. So, um, you know, Great stuff from them. And, and like you said, Matthew, not sure how much we're going to get to wear this one, but definitely an interesting look for sure. Um, moving on to some England call-ups. Michael Keane and Pickford have been given England call-ups, but there was no place for Calvert-Lewin or Holgate on the team. Um, you know, obviously, again, I mean, not much to read into here. You know, you, you can't. You know, it's not. It doesn't really affect Everton, I guess, as much. Or, but would have liked, I think, to see at least Holgate get a spot. No. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not someone who's like massively fussed about whether Everton players get England calls. Yeah. Uh, because actually, in some in some cases, I think they're better off without England call-ups in terms of, you know, you see, you see like for example. Pickford's decline kind of coincides with him being England's number one or since then. Um, I mean, Michael Keane, Michael Keane as well, kind of, uh, I think it was, was it Spain, England played last year when he had a nightmare of a game and then came back from that and his fought. Oh, no, it was, it was Kosovo. England played Kosovo, I think, and he had a, te- he had a really, yeah. really hard, really tough time against obviously vastly inferior opposition. And his form for Everton just seemed to slump after that. So I'm always kind of wary about England, Everton players getting England call. Um, with with Calvert Lewin, I don't think. Can you moan? Can you make much of a case for Calvert Lewin just because of? That's what I, like, I mean. Listen, Kane, Rashford, obviously Greenwood's it, been called up as well, hasn't he? 
Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I listen. I love Calvert-Lewin more than the next person, but um, you know, there's there's talent at that position. England has a lot of talent at that position, and you know, while Calvert-Lewin had a fantastic season, you know, there are you know, in in as unbiased of an opinion as we can say have, um, you know, there are players that are equal or better talent than he has in the Premier League right now, even after his great season. So, um, you know, I'm not as you know. I'm not as, as, as upset about the Calvert-Lewin. I think Holgate had a really good season and probably deserved the call-up, probably over Keen. Um, but, you know, again, like you said, not going to get too worked up about it. It's probably good that he gets some, some extra rest in this year, um, especially after coming back from injury, um, which is, you know, maybe something that played in. Maybe, maybe um, that's something that, that the England um, – the heads taller the the executives over there talked about but either way i'm not going to get too worked up about it it's you know it's england call-ups and and i'm sure holgate and and dominic calvert will get their chance uh sometime in the near future i don't even know who england are playing i know they're playing. Um, I, th- I know the nations league games um so obviously there is there's more on it than just like friendlies yeah yeah exactly um, but uh let me have a look here quickly. Iceland and Denmark. So, gotcha. You could see Sigurdsson, obviously. Yeah. Like, see Michael Keane uh, next Saturday. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the more focus that Everton players have on Everton, the better. Yeah. Say. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, exactly. Especially in this in this year, I think just because of how crazy it is um, with everything going on, but. All right, let's move into the interesting stuff, the really interesting stuff, I should say, um, with the transfer rumors. The stuff, it, you know, that... Is it interesting? Yeah, well, it, it can be. Um, it, it's fun, I guess you could say, to talk about because... It is interesting for the first, like, two weeks. I'm gonna get yeah, yeah, yeah. And then after the first two weeks, it becomes just yeah. tedious and annoying. But um, it looks like Everton, according to transfer rumors, it looks like Everton are... In for all of, or at least two of, Allen, Ducore, and um, Amos Rodriguez. Yeah. So um, it looks like Everton, and, and these aren't just reports that, you know, the, the fluke reports, the silly season reports that, you know, come out from, you know, untrusted sources, I guess you could say. These are coming from from serious sources uh, that you know Everton are close to agreement. Carlo Ancelotti has talks with these players, so it does look like Everton are trying to transform this midfield. Um, obviously, when you look at the players, their age is a little bit different than I think what we've been looking at over the past few seasons. Um, but thoughts, kind of general thoughts, just to start it off, start the conversation off, Matthew. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we did Alan and Decore with Brian last week, so I guess yeah. we kind of we don't need to go into too much about them. Yeah, um, I think I think Alan will happen. I think I don't know anything. I'm not. I don't have any inside knowledge. I just the, the way it's been going on, you, you would think Alan is is very much in the pipeline there. Uh, he's 29, obviously. So yes, yeah, it is it's kind of a higher age than ever normally been shopping for the last few years. I think Decore will happen because it, I get the impression that Decore wants to move. If you know, if we are to believe what we we read, yeah. Um, but it just feels like Watford are holding out for as much money as they can get, which looks to be kind of in the thirty-five million mark. 
which is a lot, but then I suppose when you've got midfield like Evans, I guess beggars can't be choosers really, can they? So, um, and Decoy would I like? I really like Decoy. I think he's a real imposing presence in that midfield and, and dominates and you know box to box midfielders. I think he he would be uh, he'd be a really good sign if that could happen. With with Hamas Rodriguez, obviously, I think it's the Telegraph reports that it's close. Or I'm not close to that they are. Fabrizio Romano has reported it. Alan Myers, I've seen, has has talked about it as well. So they've all said that yeah. you know nothing's you know done, but there have been talks ongoing. Um, I believe a 22 million euro price tag has been thrown around. Um, so um, there are like, like, yeah, I guess solid reports coming out. Yeah. My my problem with this is that. It's not just that he's 20, 29, so he's kind of in that upper age bracket. I don't really mind that too much because I don't I don't subscribe to this idea that footballers are on the decline as soon as they turn 30. But the problem I have with it is just, it feels like the same kind of signings Everton have made in the last few years that haven't haven't uh, come off for them. You know? I think the, I think the only one you would probably point to that has Worked without any sort of mitigation is is Luca Dean. Um, think of like Yerry Mina signing from Barcelona, Gomez signing from Barcelona. You know, Walcott and Awobi from Arsenal, Schneiderlin from United, players like that. Players who it feels like they take a step down to come to Everton in terms of the stature of the club they've left compared to Everton is a step down. Um, and does that dilute your hunger? I think probably it does a bit. And I think Thomas Rodriguez is obviously a fantastic player. Um, but it's also worth pointing out that he hasn't played very much football at all um, for, for Bayern Munich or Real Madrid. 28 appearances, 18 starts, the last two seasons. Um, so, look, I... I might be wrong on this. He might come and he might be fantastic and he might be really hungry and really up for it and really sort of buy into Ancelotti and Everton. But I, I, I would always look at signing players who are taking a step up to come to Everton rather than, uh, you know, taking a step down. Yeah, so here's my... I, I mean, um, and I think this was said in the, the chat. Um, I, cause I agree to an extent of what, with what you're saying. Um, but there is obviously the different factor from the players that we have signed. The fact that these players like an Allen or, or James Rodriguez, I believe have worked with Carlo Ancelotti before. So knowing that maybe that gives them a little bit more of, cause the Schneiderlins, the, the Yerry. Schneiderlin had worked with Cuban, you know? I would I would say that for, that's, that's that's an isolated example, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, Ronald Koeman, Sai Schneidlin, had him at Southampton, liked him. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yeah. But all the other but, ones, yeah, obviously. Yeah, but you know, all the other ones, yeah, they haven't worked in. Um, you know, they haven't worked with, and obviously, Carlo Ancelotti is a, a you know a top manager. Um, so, who knows? I mean, I agree to the point to the extent that you know maybe these players don't ha- come in as hungry. As as we would like them to, just because they're taking a step down, they're not, you know. It's like, you know, how do you sell a player like that, a player that that's that good on, on a club that, yeah, isn't consistently 12. making Europe. Um, yeah. 
you know, why, like what's the incentive for them to come to Everton? And that's kind of what you got to think about, but who knows? I mean, Carlo Ancelotti is a top manager, you know, the club has some really good young talent. Um, and maybe these players, maybe Ancelotti's convincing them on the project. Cause as the other thing we have to assume is that Ancelotti will be here for hopefully the long haul. But I do understand what you're saying in the sense that, you know, some of these players don't come in as hungry and, and at Everton, you know, in the current situation that we're in, we need hungry players who are going to want to strive and, and do everything they can to give all they can for the team and, and get us to some form of Europe um, next season. So I just think as well, you know, who would you, who would you say is our best player? You, you probably well, say Richarlison. Yeah, Richarlison. Obviously, Richarlison, his career trajectory has been uh, Brazil, Watford, and then Everton. So every every step has been like a step up in mm. in in his career. Um, I don't think that's just coincidence. I think that's you know that that is you know a, a player who keeps going up and is is hungry to impress, and that manifests itself in his performances. Um, yeah. You know, you look at some of the some of the money Everton wasted on on you know in the last few windows, and a lot of them have come from these bigger bigger clubs and, and they don't you know, it's interesting that the Carsley interview is talking about you know they sign when you sign players it's really important that you actually you get what it means to play for Everton um, and obviously you know back then we had that we obviously finished fourth that year it was real like togetherness and, and commitment and I think signing the right character is just as if not more important as signing the right footballer mm-hmm. Um, now Ancelotti might think Hamas Rodriguez is that um, he signed him twice before so uh, you know he's clearly a fan but um, is it right for Evan I have my I have my doubts but I'm obviously I'd be very happy to be proved wrong yeah no I you know it's it's a weird I guess feeling you kind of get in these situations because you look at a guy like Hamas Rodriguez you know he's a good player you know he's been solid um you know four I mean, clubs and, and has played played at the top level um you know played top level at the world cup at the champions league um so that's exciting obviously to bring in a player like that who who has been fantastic and has been a really good player but like you said there are these other stipulations that could you know come into it but we shall see um in terms of him if we if that deal even gets done um we'll see if that you know that that plays out but uh, you know, before we move on to our final transfer topic, I, I would ask if Alan Ducor, as these are the three that seem to be close to getting done or being significantly talked about, if Alan Ducore and Rodriguez were the only three signings Everton made this window, would you be happy? Good question. Um, no. Well, you see, you do bolster the midfield a lot, but then you are you are also leaving yourself light in in other areas mm-hmm. because you know it's, it's Coleman. You, you, I think you you're kind of you're trying to cut corners and trying to get off on like the bare minimum with, for example, going into the season with Coleman and Kenny as as your right backs. You know, 
is that is that good enough? I'm not sure. Is Nkuku Nkuku look good on Saturday, but is he good enough for the Premier League yet? Um, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, we certainly need more wing. We certainly need at least one winger, I would say. So, no, I think Everton. It's really tough because you know, like I say, that Everton aren't. They're probably going to throw as much money at this window as they have in previous windows. Yeah, um, and COVID will have had an effect on that as well. So, yeah. um, you can make allowances at some point, but I think Everton have to. Everton have to um, be savvy in where they buy. And also, the other thing I was going to say about Decore is, I wouldn't say Watford have a great relationship with Everton because of the Marco Silva thing. So whether Watford naturally just put an extra premium on Decore for Everton, um, I'm not sure. I, I wonder if they did that with Richarlison because obviously we got him for what was quite an inflated fee at the time for Richarlison. Yeah. Uh, for about 50 million. So I, do, I, I feel like the Decore one will probably go on a while because I think there will be uh, a lot of hardball played by, played by Watford on that one. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I agree with you. I think that, you know, while we're bolstering the midfield, there are other areas that need some help um, significantly. I think, you know, as, as Jared Branthwaite has, has looked, you know, decent um, and did get better um, as the, you know, as the, the game went on in the first half, I still think he probably could benefit from a loan and we should bring in another center back probably to, to that position, but it's tough with COVID. It's tough with COVID because you really need to go to this midfield. That's really the most important spot that we really need to t- take a look at. But there are other areas in terms of depth that we really need to um, bolster as well. And, and you would hope that they can get it all done, but it does seem a little unrealistic to be able to get it all done um, while bringing all three of these players in um, with, with, and, and, you know, having a lot of, dead wood on the on the on the team that are gonna be hard to sell uh, and get money for so it'll be interesting to see that um last bit of transfer news and last bit of of news really that we want to wrap up on um a position that we might be even lighter on that we wouldn't have expected to um come the season is striker as as Moise Keane it looks like there's there's reports that he may be loaned back to Juve um for the upcoming season Matthew thoughts on this one I can't. I can't understand this one at all. Um, I think, you know, for one thing, why would you create another headache for yourself? Because Moise Keane will need replacing because we don't have enough strikers to to go. We can't go into this season with Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, who is not a natural striker anyway. Let's be honest, he's not. Uh, Cheng Tosin is injured and he's probably not good enough. Let's, let's you know, let's be honest. Um, and then who else have you got? Ellie Sims, and that's it, really. Um, so why would you learn Moise Keane out? Why? I mean, you see, and, and you know, if, if he goes back to Juventus and does well there, then what do Everton get out of that, really? Because Juventus will want to keep him, and Moise Keane will probably want to stay at Juventus, I would imagine. Yeah. And also, how does how does how does seeing if Moise Keane can can cut it in Serie A. How does that? How much does that tell us about whether he can cut it in the Premier League or in or even in England? Um, you know, I I I would rather even see him go on loan. If he was going to go on loan, I'd rather him even go on loan to a Championship club in England 
uh, and just score tons of goals, hopefully, and get more of a feel for English football, and and then come back with his confidence, uh, you know, reinstated. Um, I just yeah. don't get, and also, I, I get obviously Calvin did a piece for this for the site uh, about why he thinks it might be a good idea to loan him back. Um, but and I get the idea that you know Juventus get uh, kind of offloading Gonzalo Higuain, um, but they still got Ronaldo and Paulo Dybala. And while those two are maybe not like your archetypal number nine, I can't see Moise, I can't see Andrea Pirlo picking Moise Keane at number nine over one of those two. Can you? I don't. No, I mean, I think I, I'm gonna. Go, I don't want to loan him out. I think we're gonna be way too short in the squad. I, I think right now with striker, we're in a pretty good position, probably better than any other spot. And why create another problem for yourself, like you said, by loaning out a player? And, and he is young. I mean, I think he'll still get playing time here at Everton if he stays. Um, depending on how things work, he may get more playing time than many of us expect. But especially with the congested season, I'm sure he's going to get tons of playing time. Yeah. Um, we know he can play at, at Juventus. And, uh, you know, his, you know, he scored seven goals for them in, in a short, you know, not a lot of minutes for them. You know, you know not, I, I don't know the exact amount um, off the top of my head, but he scored a decent amount of goals. We know he can score in Serie A. We're not going to learn anything about him scoring in Serie A other than, you know, oh, can he do it, I guess, more consistently. But he even did it even he did it consistently when he was coming on as a sub or or starting the few games that he did for Juventus. So the last, last two games he started for us, he scored. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think listen, I think Moise Keane is is a fantastic player, and I think there's a lot there that we need to figure out. But I think it's better that we figure it out. I think it will help us more if we figure it out. You know, I think it, and I think it'll be better for. I think, like you said, I don't really know. I don't really know what happens to Moise Keane and his Everton career if he goes to Juventus. I feel well, a lot more. Like, yeah, cool. I feel a lot more confident about his Everton career and him staying with the club and continuing to progress and having two really young, talented strikers, out and out strikers, not Richarlison, just Dominic Calvert Lewin and Moise Keane um, in the team. Ra- you know, rather than loaning him out to Juventus, possibly he realizes that he doesn't want to come back to the Premier League, and then all of a sudden we've wasted two years um, on a player that is really good and could be really good for Everton, just we didn't, yeah. you know, and I think we gave him a fair shot. And I don't, I, I don't think we would make a profit on him either if we sold him. I don't know if we make a profit on him, you know, if he goes out there and scores, you know, if he goes out and scores, plays a lot, scores a lot of goals, who knows. But I think, I mean, I personally, out of all the players we have in the club, I think Moise Keane is probably one of the most interesting players we have. And I well, think... It feels a bit like the Vlasic thing again, doesn't it? Or the Lukman thing again. Yeah, but I think that Keane is even more different than them because we have seen like, you know, Vlasic, we saw a little bit of what he could do. Lookman, we never really saw much. Um, Vlasic, we saw a little bit of what he can do. Um, but like Keen, it just feels different. It feels like the skill that he has, the little stuff that he does um, on the pitch. It's just, 
you feel like there's a real feeling that he could be a very, like a very good player. And I want to see him do that in an Everton shirt. And I don't want to, I don't want to risk any of that. I mean, obviously, you know, loans, you know, they don't always, you know, work out yeah. where it's like, Oh, that guy. And you know, he gets loaned out and he gets bought back by the team, whatever. But um, I, you know, I just, I think he has a spot on this, on this team. Yeah. And I think he can make it on this team. And I'd, I'd love to see him make it on this team. Yeah. And also, I don't think Dominic Calvert-Lewin is this kind of undroppable, you know, free-scoring striker that, you know... Yeah, I mean... No way in for more. Keep. I mean, he hasn't even scored in his last 10 games. Yeah. Not, pretty yeah. ineffective after the restart. Um, you know, why can't Moise Keane displace that? I mean, he's a good player, Calvert-Lewin. His work rate is... is Superior to Keane's, I would say. Yeah. Not that Keane's lazy; he's just is not as as yeah. good as, as Calvert-Lewin. But Moise Keane should not be sort of overawed by the idea of Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Really, should he? No, no. Yeah. I, I think from, I think we talked about this last week too. I think from a technical standpoint, skill standpoint, you know, higher ceiling. Moise Keane had definitely has all of those things over. Over Calvert Lewin, Calvert Lewin is is like you said, very good work rate. Um, he's the type of player we love to have at Everton because he always puts in a good shift. He always um, is running after the ball, you know, giving his all, hundred and ten percent throughout the entire match. But um, the skill that we've already seen in a short period of time from Moise Keane, I don't think will ever be matched by Calvert Lewin. I think Moise Keane just has that factor in him that just makes him a special player. Um, and he adds something to a squad that doesn't have that creative ability, can't create that space as much. And especially if we don't bring in, you know, other wingers or something like that. I just, I think Moise Keane has a spot on this team. And I think he has a spot on this team this year, especially with the congested schedule. Um, and I really don't want to see him going anywhere. And I also think, in a four-two-three-one, which we played in the last two games of last season, mm-hmm. um, I actually think Moise Keane is better in that lone striker role than Calvert Lewin is. I think yeah. Calvert Lewin only really kicked on when he played with Richarlison up front in a two. Um, not sure he is as effective on his own, whereas I think Moise Keane can do more of a job. Um, yeah, I we saw him obviously against Bournemouth that tapping. Um, yeah. So no, there's no. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even think about Lewin him out to be honest. Yeah, I just think he can create more of them for himself than Calvert Lewin can, and that's why he works better in that in that lone striker, that lone striker role. But all right, that's it. That's all we got. That's uh, that's the the um, the the gist of the Everton news, I guess you could say, for the past week. Um, Matthew, thank you as always for joining me again. Thank you to uh, Lee Carsley for joining us on the podcast and um, we'll talk to you guys next week.